I'm at the Hamilton East Library in downtown Fishers. I'm in the Ignite space, the AV studio. If you enjoy uh, any kind of arts, come down to the Ignite studio. It is open through all the construction going on. So uh, ask any librarian for a tour. They'll be glad to show you what they have to offer. What I have to offer today is Bob Kravitz, a longtime local sports commentator. And Bob, Welcome back. Good to have you back yeah, on the great podcast. To be back. It's been, been a while since we did one of these. You're a longtime Fishers resident, but I understand you have moved from Fishers. Yeah, we moved to the, uh, to the. let's see, which way would it be? The west? That would be to the west. <laughs> to <yeah>. the west. <laughs> no, but, that's okay. But we my, hold... my, kids, my kids grew up and grew out and, and moved out, I should say, and uh, we, we downsized. We had the same thing, but uh, yeah, we won't hold it against you okay, that, you're, right. that you moved to the West. We all can imagine where that is, yeah. right across the city line. Exactly. But Bob, I want to, you know, we've we've talked several times on the podcast here, and, and uh, I mean, you've written locally for the Indianapolis Star, television station WTHR, and the Athletic. What I found interesting, of course, we left the Star because you wanted to go to WTHR, mm-hmm. that ended. Went to the Athletic, that has recently ended. Yeah. But Can't keep uh, the job. Well, I want to talk about that yeah. because uh, I think almost anybody that's been cut from a job would love to have been able to write the piece that you wrote <laughs> about what happened to you at the Athletic. Uh, you have a Substack, and we're going to talk more about that later as to how you can you you can read the uh, Substack material that you now have. But at the Athletic, you know, I was you and I were talking beforehand. I really loved the Athletic. Yeah. I read it I, initially. I thought it was some of the best writing since Sports Illustrated, and they did local sports. I thought, what a deal. Things have changed at The Athletic. So tell us, I mean, for those who haven't read your Substack yet, tell us your story about what happened to you at the end in The Athletic. Well, I mean, I had, uh, I don't want to get all whiny, you know, here on uh, uh, on the, the podcast here, but it, it, it was, it wasn't good for me. I mean, it was, it's good for a lot of other writers um, it's been great for James Boyd. It's been great for Zach Kiefer, two local guys. Uh, but for me, it, it wasn't good. You know, uh, I mentioned in the Substack that co- a couple months, I don't remember the time frame exactly, but a couple of months after I had quadruple bypass, they put me on um, kind of a uh, coaching, what do you, what do you call it? Uh, yeah. yeah. So they put you on hiatus, basically. No, they they, just... they, they, I don't know why the word isn't coming to me suddenly, but um, they put you on a special kind of leave. Is yeah, that it? yeah, not leave, but they said you have to produce 395 subs in three months. You know how Whoa. hard that is. Oh, yes. And it was during a pandemic. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so and there's not a lot of story ideas out there. There's not a lot out there. So somehow I did it and kept my job. But at that point, I knew. You know, they were trying to get rid of me. They, I think they were upset that I actually accomplished what I accomplished. And uh, it, it just wasn't right for me. I had four editors in four years. I never knew what they were looking for. Uh, I couldn't write the, what I wanted to write. Um, I didn't feel like I was servicing the local readership because I was always writing these big, long monster pieces, and I couldn't you know, write the small stuff, which I think people care about in this town and any, any town. Um, so it just didn't work out for me. They let me go. Um, they let go about 20 some odd people, most of whom now have their own sub stack. They're all starting <laughs> this. 
so I'm good now. My Substack has taken off like I can't believe. And uh, but yeah, things have really changed at the Athletics since the New York Times uh, bought them. Uh, they decided that they are not as interested as they once were in the local markets, in the Indianapolis's, the Cincinnati's, the St. Louis's, and places like that. And we were being, you know, downgraded in many ways. So they're going in a new direction. I wish them well. There are a lot of great, super talented people there, wonderful people. It just didn't work out for me. Well, I don't plan to renew my athletic uh, membership. <laughs> I, I it, it ends in uh, December, so I'm going to let it go because I really I'm a Reds fan and I love reading Trent Rosencrans. Yes, but whether he'll be back next year, who knows? Who knows? I mean, who knows? I, I'm, he, he, that is an exciting you know young team that's going to mm-hmm. go places. You oh, the Reds! Yeah, think. I mean they lost a hundred games last year, and and they've their farm system has produced some great players. Great players so it's, they're fun. They're fun to watch. Yes, whether they'll they be in the playoffs, we don't know. But they are in first place, which is a miracle. Mm-hmm. Last year. So being a Reds fan has been a downer for a long time. Right. So at least I have something to brag about. But I worked in media, Bob, for 14 years in the 70s and early 80s. And when I worked there, it was a brutal industry. And it still is, and I think maybe even more so. Uh, do you think it's worse now than it was it, but it, when it you is, got into it? It is earlier? for me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I was lucky. I came along in the uh, 80s and 90s. Um, which are really glory days for newspapers. I mean, they paid, you traveled, you had sports sections that were 30 pages long, and you had, you know, huge staffs. That's all changed. Uh, the newspaper business, as we all know, has gone down the tubes. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, it's now everything's about metrics, 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 metrics. Um, it's thrown in your face constantly. That's why I was put on probation. That was the word that I was looking for. Probation, before. thank you. Okay. I was like, I don't even want to think about it anymore. I'm like, double, yeah, probation. Double, double secret probation. Right, double secret probation. <laughs> That's exactly what I was on. And, uh, yeah, it's gotten much tougher because the, the market, the economics of making it, in the newspaper business, in the media business, it's much harder than it's ever been. Uh, And for that reason, there's a greater amount of pressure being placed on the writers and editors to produce uh, stories that uh, bring in eyeballs, that that, that produce subscriptions. And that's a hard way to live. I have not been in the Star newsroom for years, certainly not since they moved to, to, to where they are today mm-hmm. in Circle, I been Circle Center Mall. But I talked to somebody who did get a tour, and it, exactly what you described is what happens. What happens is they put a story online, mm-hmm. and they're looking at those metrics. Right. Now, what they will do if they don't think it's getting enough attention, they'll change the headline. Mm-hmm. SEO. If it's still not getting enough attention – They'll rewrite the lead. What the lead, for those who don't know, is the first sentence or two of a newspaper story. And, you know, what I find is that's not the journalism I learned. Me either. Me either. You know, it used to be enough to write a good piece. And now you've got to have certain keywords with the – what's SEO? Something optimization? Yes, optimization. Something optimization. Um, And how will it play on Google? Uh, You want to – you want to be the go-to on Google, the go-to story. So there's a lot involved, and it's not just about writing and editing and putting a good headline on it and a great picture. It's about metrics. It's about the optimization. It's about getting subscribers and eyeballs. And I understand that that's the way it it is. Um, 
I know the uh, Athletic is still not profitable. The New York Times is changing, uh, moving away from the local models and going to more of a national thing. They think that that's going to get them over the top. They may be absolutely right. I mean, the New York Times is a pretty successful venture, one would say. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, w- I really do wish them well. I mean, it's great that we have this outlet for, outlet for all these writers. But uh, I never thought I would see the day where the New York Times would lay, not lay off but reassign right. their entire sports department and, and set it to the athletic. I mean, the New York Times sports department has some terrific writers. Oh, I John mean, if you, Branch and Tyler Kempner and you can name, we, we can name on, them on this. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so they've got that great columnists and great reporters who've broken some important stories. That the Times is no longer in the sports business. They're not, and they've always tried kind of treated sports as the redheaded stepchild, like it was below below them. Um, you know, toy department of human affairs and all that, and um, they never covered like well, I grew up in New York, so. I always made sure to read the New York Daily News and the New York Post and Newsday. They had the The sports departments. They were like above everything. You know, they didn't write about my beloved Mets. Mm -hmm. They they didn't write much about the Yankees or the Islanders, the Rangers or whomever. Um, It was always below them. So I think they've always viewed sports in that through that lens. With all we just said, if you were at a college speaking to a group of students <laughs> interested in sports reporting or commentary, uh, what would you tell them about the state of the industry as you look forward? Unless you are supremely talented, unless you, unless it is your absolute passion, don't don't go into it. Uh, and even if you do do go into it, get a law degree. Seriously, get a degree in business. Even if you don't use it, you you, you know, directly, I mean, knowing the law is incredibly important. Knowing contract law, how how important would that be uh, with this Jonathan Taylor situation? Or business, for that matter. business. (laughs) Exactly. So Sports is the biggest business we have in America in a lot of ways. That's right. That's right. And so getting that background, I would say, you know, if you're into it and, and you're going to be great and you know it and everybody else tells you, you know, you're you're, you're moving on to great things and do it. But I, I would get that second. I'd get, you know, something to fall back on. Speaking of colleges, it's interesting to me that the market of Chicago, one of the biggest media markets in the country, never caught on to the Northwestern hazing scandal. It was a group of college students writing yeah. for the college newspaper. And I heard a uh, man named Richard Deitch, who used to work for Sports Illustrated, uh, has a really interesting media podcast, interviewed those kids. Oh, good. And good. you ought to re-listen to it because uh, they tell the story of how they came up with all this. Well, with all this media in the Chicago area, it took the student newspaper to bring to light uh, facts that resulted in the firing of a very successful football coach. I, we were mentioning this. We were talking about this before we came on the air. And I, I think the kids use to their advantage the fact that they are fellow students mm-hmm. and that there's a commonality and a bond. And, well, we're both 19 years old. We're both busting our butt to get through school. And 
So I think they use their connections brilliantly. Keep this in mind. The national media missed the, the whole steroid story. Yes. I mean, yes. The, the, the national and even the local media misses big stories. God knows what we're missing right now. But uh, I give those kids all the credit in the world. I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I work at Ball State and mentor those kids. And the joke, the, not the joke, the line there is, you know what they call a, a student journalist? A journalist. <laughs> And that's absolutely, Excellent. absolutely Excellent. the truth for those young people, and God bless them. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear. Ball State has a very well-respected very good. Uh, very good. journalism department, so I'm glad you're, you're working with them. Okay. You're covering Colts Camp. Yeah. We've got to talk about that. Uh, two words, Jonathan Taylor, national news sports-wise. Um, you've written about it. I'm just the first thing I thought about when I read what you've written and others have written about all this and Jonathan Taylor's. I'm sure that there's one man, Edgerin James, who's sitting back thinking, "I'm sure glad I'm not playing in this era." Oh yeah. You know, I mean, uh, Eric Dickerson played here. I watched him play, but Eric Dickerson was in a blocker. You know, he he didn't do anything else. Edgerin James caught passes, blind. He was the full all-around player. Uh, but now we see that running backs are being devalued in the Absolutely. NFL, and Jonathan Taylor's not happy about it. He has a very aggressive agent right now. How do you, I mean, you've written a little bit about this. Uh, how do you see it as of August 1st? I think both sides are completely wrong and both sides are completely right. And that's the problem, is that Jonathan Taylor is right when he says, I am underpaid. He is. He's not a $4.3 million back. He's a 10 to 12, $13 million back. When he says they took care of Shaq Leonard and Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson and Naheem Hines, he's absolutely right. But you know what? The Colts look at the actuarial tables for running backs and they know these guys don't last long. That you give a guy like Ezekiel Elliott or Todd Gurley or any one of those guys a big long-term deal, they're they're out of the league or they're gone from your team within a year. But so, don't they have to make the team every year in the NFL? Unless they get uh, right. a signing bonus, uh, you cut them, they don't get paid, right? Right, right. Oh, so, yeah. So it's not like, I mean, you could give him a contract, and if he doesn't play in that third so, year. Yeah, you're out. You're out. But so so why is the NFL saying, and this is not just the Colts, you know, Jim Irsay is right. The game it's has happening. changed. That's and, why. Yeah. The game has changed so completely. Look at it this way. The year that Jonathan Taylor went nuts two years ago, had a great season, all-time all Colts record, the Colts went 9-8 and eight and missed the playoffs. You know who the Kansas City Chiefs' leading rusher was last year? Mm -hmm. Seventh rounder from Rutgers named Isaiah Pacheco True. ran for 830 yards. This is a passing and quarterback and wide receiver league, and the feeling is you could put almost any dope back behind, behind uh, the quarterback and if you have a good offensive line and a decent passing game, that guy is going to run for 1,000 to 1,400 yards. And the line's getting paid. Oh, Lord. This <laughs> line, this, and I think the Colts look at this, too. They say, you know what? Everybody we paid went right in the crapper. Mm -hmm. You know, Quentin Nelson didn't have a good season. Ryan Kelly didn't have a good season. Braden Smith didn't have a good season. None of these guys, you know, Shaq unfortunately got hurt. But none of the guys that they took care of 
took care of them back. That's so right. That's right. Uh, they may be looking at, at it like that. But I think the bottom line is the game has changed so much that running backs are, are really a dime a dozen. They're eminently replaceable. So really, I think uh, how it's going to end is really going to have little impact on the Colts season, which leads me into what fans should expect. Because we have to be honest here. The Colts have a brand-new head coach. Mm-hmm. They have a rookie quarterback, which may or may not start, but will certainly play this season. It's getting paid enough that he will have to play at some point. I would say, would you have to advise Colts fans not to get their hopes up too high about this season? Oh, absolutely. This is going to be ugly. Uh, Hopefully, it's not quite as ugly as last year, because last year, not only did they win just, what, four games, but it was a clown show from the very beginning with Jim Irsay getting way too involved in the day-to-day machinations of this team. Um, Look, all that matters this year, wins and losses don't matter this year. What matters is getting number five on the field and preparing him to become the quarterback that they think he can be. That's that's, that's the bottom line. It's Not totally, but it sort of reminds me of the first year Peyton Manning was here. Mm -hmm. They had a terrible season. I think they won three or four games. Yeah, three and 13. The next year they won, what, 13 games, something like that? So, you know, I mean, they didn't do well in the playoffs. But that aside, you saw the the Colts team we knew for many years started in that second season. So I, yeah, I think uh, I would advise fans to watch watch what you see, see the team come along, but don't expect any playoff and, runs. And not only that, keep in mind people say, well, Peyton Manning, he played his rookie year, he played every down, he threw 28 interceptions, it's an all-time rookie record, which he loves. Um, <laughs> Peyton Manning played 40-some-odd games in college. He did. This mm-hmm. kid has played 13 13 at the University of Florida. So if people are expecting this kid, and I'm, I may be proven wrong, um, although he was 5 of 13 at practice this morning and looked really shaky. Um, if this kid doesn't play until, say, the 10th game of the season, don't get upset. I mean, even if the Colts are getting their brains beat in, it's going to take time, and you don't want to put this kid out there before he's truly ready. Well, that's what I hear. He's a hard worker. He Very wants worker. to learn. He's really he wants to soak up. He like memorizes the playbooks. I mean, mm-hmm. he really is. He's he's gotten out to a start where he's very serious about the job. But still, and you know, I, I remember one quarterback, one famous quarterback, saying, "When you start off in the league as a quarterback, you feel like you're going 70, 80 miles an hour. Right. And once you've been in a league for maybe three or four years, it slows down to about forty miles an hour. Mm-hmm. So you can look." At, Overlook at the field and make decisions quickly and make good ones. And you still don't make them perfect. Right. So it's you're right. I think it's going to be a while. We have to take a look and see how this. Yeah, this kid's head swimming. Just let him let him take his time. Can I talk about the Pacers? You can because they're going to be good. Well, that was my question. Yeah. You know, Rick Carlisle has a track record of putting together winning teams. Yes. They had a transition year last year, and they looked pretty good at times. Mm-hmm. I, I really was uh, – they were a fun team to watch last year. Uh, how far away are they now from being some kind of a contender? I think they're very close to being a 500 team, and being a 500 team gets you uh, on the edge of postseason uh, – of the postseason, whether that's as a playoff team or in the play-in game. Um, you know, adding Obi Toppin, I think, helps a lot. I think Jarris Walker is going to be a nice addition as a as a rookie. Um, you know, a uh, Bruce Brown going out and spending the money for for Denver's Bruce Brown. I think they're going to be. They have between Toppin, Halliburton, and Brown. They have the three best 
transition scores in the league, which is like way too much for me, math for me. But apparently they're all three great in transition. So this is a team that's going to run like crazy, and they're going to be exciting. And keep in mind, the Pacers were a couple of games above 500 when they went to New York and Tyrese Halliburton got hurt. Then they lost 10 out of 11, and their season kind of went south. Yeah, Halliburton is a key part He's of the, the future of that team. You see him play, you think, wow, this is this this kid's going to be great. And he plays with such joy yeah. and freedom. He, he's really great fun to watch and one of the best guys in the world to talk to. I want to talk about something that I think I talked about before we went, you know, started recording this. One of the major complaints I had about the athletic is that outside of Notre Dame, they really haven't covered college sports in Indiana, no. particularly basketball, but not even in football. Let's just talk about football first. You got Tom Allen of IU heading into a pretty key season for his yeah. future. You know, he had the great season, got a nice contract. And it's things have been downhill ever since then. And his contract is such he's going to be there for at least a little while, mm-hmm. while longer. This will be, I think, a key season to see where he's headed. Uh, they got a brand new head coach at Purdue, but Purdue is is looking to be at least in the middle of the Big Ten, which is not a bad place to be right. the way the Big Ten is situated now. Uh, I just want to know if you have any thoughts about uh, our state's college football as we head into that next month. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think I think basketball is going to be. The, the key really this year, I think football, I think everybody knows IU is not going to be any good. Purdue is going to be okay. But you're, you're asking about the athletic, and uh, uh, excuse me for sort of changing course here a little bit. But um, when I got to the athletic, we had two guys covering the Colts. We had a guy covering the Pacers. We had a guy covering college basketball. He jumped around, did Purdue and IU and Butler and, and me as a columnist. Now we have one guy, and he's, he's a wonderful, lovely, great human being, and he's very talented, James Boyd, mm-hmm. and he's covering the Colts. That's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, how you can be in Indiana, Indiana, and not have somebody covering college basketball is, is like being in Toronto and not having a hockey writer. Well, it, it makes no sense. It, it tells but you. That tells it, you where the direction they're headed. That was my point. You've made yeah. your point on that because uh, they're not locally centered, except in the big markets. Right. We're not big enough no. uh, in, in Indiana. Well, let's talk about basketball because I think that's that's going to be much more fun for people living in Indiana because, you know, Matt Painter looks like he's got another terrific, oh. talented team oh. coming up again. Mike Woodson has done. Terrific work in recruiting. Now we don't know when they get until they get on the the right. court, but we know Painter's got what he's got coming back is just amazing. So, uh, well, I think it's it's always great when both Indiana and Purdue have competitive mm-hmm. basketball teams. Yeah, and and IU beating Purdue twice last year mm-hmm. after Purdue won about eight thousand games in a row over IU. Look, I think Purdue is a national power. I think they're going to be a top five to top ten team all season long. I don't see I don't see IU being at that level unless this this kid uh, Mbako, mm-hmm. uh, whose name I hope I'm uh, pronouncing correctly, uh, and Kalel Ware, who's another kid they brought in, um, and they're going to need people like Galloway and the like to really come on. Caleb Banks. You know, I think there's a little bit of a question mark. I think IU might be a top five team in the Big Ten. But Purdue is going to be a national powerhouse, and 
The sad thing is none of it means squat until they get to March. Well, I was about to say that. You know, Mac Pater has got that same question mark on his back that Gene Cady had for years. Mm -hmm. You know, you have these great teams and you flame out in the tournament. And I think this last tournament, and there are a lot of Purdue fans in my family, and they were bummed out at what happened. I was blown away. I was there. It was Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. I was there. And, in fact, the day before, I wrote a funny column about can Zach Eady hit a three-pointer. <laughs> and it was a jokey column, and I, I said, well, look, they're going to beat Fairleigh Dickinson by 3,000 points, and who cares? Let's just talk about whether he can make a three-pointer. And they lose again yeah. to the same type of undersized, uber-athletic team. But this is a team that fairly Dickinson, they lost to really awful teams during the course of the year. I mean, there's no excuse. And so, look, Matt Matt is very self-aware. He knows what the story is, and he's got the big kid coming back, Zach Eady. Mm-hmm. If they, you know, they have got to do something in March. I wonder, anything short of that is a disaster. I wonder if Zach Eady didn't just come back partly just to try to give Matt Payne that run in the NCAA tournament. I mean, it, he was also told that he was not going to be a high draft no, pick. No, he, he would have been a late second-round pick, mm-hmm. if at all. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason he came back was what we just said. He would have been a late second-round pick, and he could make more money coming back to Purdue. He makes almost a million dollars in NIL money at Purdue. So he, he has a chance to, to win a championship, to do all the things that he wants to do, and make money at it, and maybe improve his stock. Unfortunately, I think the only way he improves his stock is if he gets much shorter and much thinner <laughs> and much quicker. Because on the way the NBA is now, it's about five, about your center shooting threes from 28 feet. It's not about being a back-to-the-basket guy anymore. You know, I just watched... Uh, by the way, we're going to talk about NAL next, but I get, when you mentioned all that, it brought back a, a documentary that is I just watched on Showtime called Goliath, which was about, yeah, about Will. Have you seen it? I have. That's a tremendous Fantastic. documentary. I mean, there are a lot of bad sports documentaries mm-hmm. out there, sadly. This was very well very, done. Very, well done. And I don't think most of us understand. He was the first really big man that had the athletic ability to play basketball. And he played some other sports, too, by he the did. way, which they bring up in the in the documentary. But I, I, I don't think any of us of normal height, and I'm even shorter than most, understand what kind of athletic ability you have to have to be that height and, and play at that athletic level. Yeah, and mean, Wilt was the first. The hand-eye coordination, the, the, the good feet. You know, and that's something that Zach – I mean, Zach's got good hand-eye coordination, but, you know, his feet – Look, for a guy who's 7'4", 290, he moves pretty damn well. Mm-hmm. But um, he doesn't – I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember the last years of Will Chamberlain. Back, This is when he decided to become a passer. Yes. I mean, it's hard to believe – didn't he average 50 points a game the, for well, a whole that, season? He had that 100-point game, game in Pennsylvania, and yeah. he, he averaged 50. But that was his role for those teams. Right. When he got to the Lakers and he agreed to be the point person and pass the ball around, they won championships. And he was the first real point center. Exactly. You know, I mean, everything came out of the both the low post and the high post, and he was a fantastic passer. Yeah, Jerry West had some great things to say yeah, about him in that documentary. Good. But you mentioned NIL, name, image, and likeness. Wow, has that a – and the Zach Eady example is a great one about how sometimes this will keep athletes in, in college. 
But I don't know. When I look at the overall picture of NIL, I see the Wild West. Sure I mean, do. there's just everybody does. It's a. It, do you think either the conferences or heaven help us, the U.S. Congress will get involved? And in, because I think there has to be some kind of oversee, oversight on this, and there's practically this has been none going now. on for a million years. Well, you and, and I know that. It's all yeah. under the table. <laughs> you all know. Yeah. So now it's over the table, and everybody's being semi-honest about it, and the kids who help. Um, produce millions and millions of dollars for NCAA basketball and, and football, whatnot, they're getting something. A lot of these kids come from places where, you know, it, I mean, it's money is come is hard to come by. And so God bless them. Good for them. Um, but we're going to have a situation here where there's going to be about 25 super teams and maybe one or two conferences that are worth a damn. And everybody else is going to be like Yale and Harvard. It's going to be like the Ivy League. And NIL is going to have a lot to do with Absolutely. That. You know, so, when you see uh, the Alabama football coach complain about NIL, you know it's hurting him. Yeah, you know? exactly. Because Alabama can't offer what, what you may be able to in a bigger market and so forth. But, uh, no, I agree with you. We all heard the stories. I, I've oh, seen yeah. star players at certain major universities get a job from a major donor and never show up never for the show. job in the no summer. I mean, there were all kinds of ways people yeah. go. The $100 handshakes at Kentucky mm-hmm. were famous, but that was really the small stuff. Right. Uh, right. And there were bad things going on in, in college basketball, and this does put it up above. But I just – it's not, it's not the college sports that we grew up with. Exactly. That's why I think – it's so hard for us of a certain age, meaning older, um, to accept the Wild West element um, because – but I think we were telling ourselves a fiction that it wasn't well, going on before. We're better know? off now than we were before. Yes. But I just wonder if somebody will step in just to put some controls on it. I'm not saying we should stop it or lower it. Just find a way yeah, to that make I, sure there's not – I don't abuse. know. I don't know if Congress gets involved. I, I'm always – uh, a little uh, hesitant, letting letting uh, politicians get involved in uh, in, in sports, but uh, you know they 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 just need to keep it as um, just as open and honest as possible. And you know, I I think uh, I think schools are getting more comfortable with it. But what is going to happen is, I mean, look, it's always been a have and have nots situation in college sports, I think this is only going to exacerbate it. Well, people have read you in the Indianapolis Star, what you wrote on the website for WTHR, what you did on camera, and of course, what you wrote for The Athletic. Perhaps Substack is a little different. Explain how Substack works. I'm the boss. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only thing you know for sure. I can write what I want, write when I want, write how I want. Uh, it's been a revelation. Uh, it, it's done really extraordinarily well. I'm, I was talking with somebody from Substack today who told me that my, I've had one of the best starts they've had in a very long time. So I'm very gratified and very humbled by that. Um, but basically, basically, I'm doing what I did at the Indianapolis Star. You know, writing three, four times a week. I'm going to start podcasting as soon as I can figure it out technologically. I think <laughs> oh, you've got oh, to figure it oh, out. Larry. You and I have talked about this. I think you're in good shape. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it, it's just going to be more freedom. I don't have to worry about I mean, look, I've got metrics. This is the way I'm feeding my family, okay? So I need the metrics. I need the numbers. But 
I'm not going to go into a deep depression if I write a really long story and get two subscriptions. I mean, I, I, I my job is not de- necessarily dependent on it. Uh, if I get good numbers, great. We, we go to Sullivan's more often and have the good steak. But no, I, I'm very excited about this, and I hope um, people will check it out. I'll give myself a free plug here. It's Bob Kravitz dot substack.com and uh, it's seven dollars a month or seventy dollars for the year uh, i will have some free uh, material but for the most part you want to read it you pay and every time you <laughs> post something you get an email so it's right there it's you right know it's there, there. In, your, yeah. in your inbox in fact it's funny my my friend jay mariotti um I was sitting down before I came over here and I was writing a quick story about Pat McAfee putting his foot in his mouth and boom. You only I, found one occasion? Yeah. <laughs> I saw I saw Mariotti, his story just appeared on my email. I was like, oh, great minds think alike because he wrote the same story. Can I say something real quick before mm-hmm. we Because ESPN is another example of trying to go to another business model. They've kind of lived off yes. this cable money that people have to pay to get cable service. Whether you watched it or not, you paid. Well, that's that that whole paradigm is is losing steam. Yes. And uh, they've been you know, they've been laying people off or not re-signing uh, talent commentators. Was yeah. it to Mark Jackson? Mark Jackson Just and Jeff got, Van Gundy, who I thought got, were yeah. terrific. I love Van Gundy. No, they've but, they've but decided the, the, to go for they're paying their big people, the people who move the needle. Stephen A. Smith, Pat McAfee, they move the needle. They're getting rid of all the people kind of in that vast middle. But has McAfee really shown the numbers for them? He's good with what he did before, but uh, I'm curious how, I don't he's, know. how well he's going to work on yeah, ESPN. I, I mean, I think he has an audience, but will that translate to what ESPN is doing? I know Stephen A. Smith is one of their stars. Will McAfee be able to do that? Because they're paying him a lot of money. They're paying him a lot of money. They're betting on it. And yeah. look, people at ESPN aren't stupid. You know, They know the numbers that Pat put up. Um, with Barstool and then uh, on his YouTube channel. They know what kind of following he has. I have every reason to believe, knowing Pat as I do, that he will be wildly successful as long as he doesn't say stupid crap. Just just yeah, keep it within the borders. Don't, and, and that yeah. he didn't do. Yeah. He didn't do yeah. that the other day. Yeah. And, and he issued one of the worst apologies I've mm. ever heard. It was half bleep, mm-hmm. and like it was lawyered. Yeah, yeah. no, what, it wasn't lawyered. One lawyer, no, okay. it just it was. Well, if you were um, bothered by this, if you were offended, well, I'm sorry. Oh, that. Oh, I hate that. Not apology, apology. That's a non-apology, yeah. apology. Exactly. So, uh, I, I think he'll do fine, but he's got to be careful. Bobby, you've always been very generous giving uh, me some of your time. Always Absolutely. a pleasure to talk to you. Good luck with your podcasting, for crying out loud. Yeah, I'll probably be calling you for techno- technical and for uh, <laughs> uh, help at some point. Buy me beer anytime. Okay, sounds good, buddy. Bob Kravitz, thanks again for appearing today. Thank you.